Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And we have a special guest. NECA, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm NECA Gerstel. Today's episode is going to be all about what it's like to be a TV writer in the writer's room. And poor NECA, I'm going to ask her so many questions uh, about the mundane details about her life. (laughs) Because I'm just so curious. Um, I have always wanted to be in a writer's room. I actually got my first job this week uh, to be in a writer's room. So I am now extra curious, NECA. So uh, there may be some additional questions I have for you. Congratulations, Tasha. Thank you, Josh. Great. Um, I think the interesting thing is there's so much uncertainty wrapped around what a writer's room is, which you probably felt when you did your first writer's room. And so just kind of want to like dispel all of that. Um, And for writers who have never been in a room, just let them know what that looks like for them. How did you get started as a writer? Do you want the long version or the short version? (laughs) The version that you want to give. Okay. Um, So first and foremost, I'm super excited to be here. This specific topic conversation is very relevant because there's so many of us who start out and just don't know. Um, So yay, you guys for um, doing this and thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, So how did I start out? Um, So I've, like most writers, wanted to be a writer my whole life. I'm Nigerian. And so the distance for me between being here and where I started out was so far. It was such a, like, it was such an impossible thing. I grew up in a family that was very professionally driven and I was going to be a lawyer and all of that. And then at some point, you know, I had to seize my defined gravity moment and move out here and it's been great. Um, Are you the black sheep of the family because you're the writer? I, you know, my family's come around. I think they just didn't understand what like what do you do you know you see movie stars and you see celebrities and nobody talks about writers i feel like lately maybe a little bit more but my my family who are all doctors and lawyers and way in the other direction just this world makes no sense to them um but now where you know like i'm working they're like okay um but the good thing is that you know my my siblings and my mom have always been super supportive even when they didn't understand they're like okay great um you have a dream follow your dream that's so lucky (laughs) that's great i appreciate that very much um but after college i was very lucky to get a job as an assistant to an executive producer at um, hbo so i sort of got to be uh, i was in the production office but got to be uh, flying the wall in the you know the tv writing process not writing just tv production so i got to work on um, hung and enlightened and the first season of true detective which was for me a great education and like i feel like i really fell in love with tv through that wow um and i feel like i was lucky that i got here after sort of the television golden age started you know we had already had sopranos Mad Men was on the air so all these wonderful things were happening and i you know i really wanted to be a part of that i spent about three four years in, as an assistant and then um took some time off to start my family. I have a daughter and a son. Um, But when I um, had my daughter, I think she was about three months old at the time, I wrote a feature um, that plays third in the UCLA Feature Film Festival and found my agent through that and then got staffed on Treadstone. That was my very first job. Wow. I love hearing that story. We we have an episode about how to find your agents and managers and also about like those kinds of film festivals. Yeah. And that's very much our opinion that that's a really great way to jumpstart your career and find reps and and all of that. So, yeah. yes, it's awesome that that was your story as well. It was really great. It was it was cool because it was one of those things that before that people kept saying, you know, you need to find an agent, you need to find reps. Okay, yes, I agree, but you know, you don't just waltz into their offices or maybe yeah. I don't know, it didn't work that way for me. So it was kind of it was really nice that they came to me. Um, it was yeah. really nice and strange. Um, I, I remember I was on a walk, you know, pushing the stroller with my baby. It was super hot because she was born in July. And I got a call from someone at CAA. I didn't pick it up because I didn't recognize the number. And then I listened to the message and I was like, what? <laughs> So that wow. was very exciting. Can, can you talk about what this what this feature is? Did anything ever happen with it? Um, it's a 
feature called The Woman, which Tasha, I know you have a feature called The Woman, so I, I love that. We're, you know, we're meant to be Tasha. We are indeed. But it is um, an action, a suspenseful action thriller about a young woman who's a rogue um, CIA agent who is tasked to go undercover in a, to bring down a human trafficking ring. The um, the clincher being that she used to be a sex slave herself, so she has to go back into the world and um, you know try to rescue girls and try to bring them down from the inside. It was super fun. Um, nothing significant has happened with it except that it you know got has gotten me a lot of meetings and opened doors. And now recently, more recently, um, I'm in talks to possibly turn it into a TV show. So we'll, we'll see. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's amazing. I love hearing and, that. And so then uh, you started on Treadstone. And what are you on now? I am on Just Beyond, which is a 20th Century Fox show for Disney+. Plus. It is essentially Twilight Zone for middle grade. So monsters and, you know, genre stuff. It's super fun. Oh, wow. That's really fun. Was there a lot in between from Treadstone to where you are now? Yeah, what was the path? So... Technically, my first job was a, I keep forgetting this, I'm sorry, Lifetime. It was a Lifetime TV movie, actually, which was a very, like, all about Eve sort of cat and mouse mysterious sort of thing. Um, so that was, that I did in tandem with Treadstone, because I got that job, like, a month before I got staffed on Treadstone. And then wow. tra Treadstone technically lasted for six months. This was in 2018. So it went from June till December. And then the room disbanded. But... My showrunner was still doing a lot of writing in January, so I volunteered to help him out, and that turned back turned into me being rehired um, for four or five more months after that. So I, 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 you know, extended that, which was really cool because um, the showrunner of Treadstone was Tim Kring, whom um, produced and wrote uh, Heroes, which I was a huge mm -hmm. fan of, and you're just like the loveliest person. And coming back. For the extension, I got to do some heavy lifting, which I didn't necessarily get to do the first time around. So that was really cool. Um, and then after that, I had um, been selected for the Ubisoft um, Women's Film and TV Fellowship, which is where Tasha and I met. Uh, oh, okay. That fateful dinner. Yeah. <laughs> That if, if nothing else, that meeting you made it worth it. Um, I, was, I was wondering how you guys are... You yeah, we were seated to next other? to each other because we had. I was in the previous generation of the Ubisoft Fellowship people, and Neko was the incoming generation, and so they sat us next to each other, and then we just nerded out about really cool genre stories. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> it was amazing. You know, like I don't know if Josh, if you are an introvert or an extrovert, but I'm definitely that person who walks into a room and I'm like, I need to find my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so finding Tasha was like, yes. <laughs> so I went through that the program for I think it was six months and that was during the time when we had to fire our reps because of the you know the sort of battle between the agencies and um the guild and so I had to fire my agent that I'd had for less than a year that was fun um but it was good to have Ubisoft at that time you know because it kept me grounded kept me like felt like I was connected, still connected to the industry. Um, Cause it can be scary, you know, to have go from having an agent to like being on your own. Um, yeah. So I did the program and then towards the end of the program, I have a friend who was working on High School Musical, the musical, the series. And he um, asked if he could submit me to, you know, for it. And I thought, why not? And so he did and I interviewed and I got the job. So I, I did that afterwards. And then, um, I did some pitching. I pitched Netflix and got like my, I got on a, a feature. I sold the feature to Netflix. <laughs> Can't speak. Woo! Um, Whoa. And, uh, and then got uh, staffed on Just Beyond. Wow. You're like a unicorn. This is like you, all these great things are happening to I'll you. Take like... it. <laughs> that's very kind, but I'll, you know, I'll take I... it. <laughs> um, yeah, that story is amazing. And I feel like is 
in many ways a dream scenario, right? Just one job kind of rolling right into the next, into the next, because there's something that's always so scary about our business is those huge gaps where you, you're not quite sure what's going to happen in between a job. Um, I'm kind of wondering where we start, because I, I think I want to start with Treadstone and how you got that first writer's room job. Um, I've interviewed for writer's room jobs before, and I've never gotten them <laughs> until this week. So um, I would be very curious to hear what your experience has been with the actual interview process and all of that. So, But let's just start with the very beginning. So you you got your agent. Right. CAA called you while you were pushing your baby down the street. Um, <laughs> and how how soon after that were they submitting you and getting you this Treadstone meeting? So I got the call in February and met with an agent at CAA. And it was really funny because I, you know, I, I, in my head, I suppose, I think like when you, when you, you sign with someone, you know, everybody says sign with an agency. I, so I always imagine like you, you sign, you get your, yeah. right. and then you sign. And that didn't happen at the meeting. So I remember going home and being like, I don't know if like, what did we, do I have an agent? Do I not have an agent? You Literally every writer I've ever talked to has that moment of like, am I signed? Because yeah. we do, we say signed. Yeah. And there's no signing. I, I there's no it. signing. Yeah. And so I, I, I sent him an email. I was like, thank you. And like, what do I do next? He was very <laughs> And he was like, well, you know, like, let me take it from here. And I was like, so that means you're my agent. <laughs> um, and he was like, yep. Um, uh, so that that's how that worked out. But then, okay. he, so he sent me a list of you know the upcoming um, shows that had been greenlit for pilot season to read uh, the pilots and sort of get a taste of like what I would be interested in um, from the network side and the more uh, streaming cable, all of that. And so I spent a while reading things. It's interesting trying to like figure out what your tastes are when it's your first job. Because a part of you is like, ooh, I want to write what I want to write. And another part of you is like, I just want to work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I sent him a list of of, of things. It came, became really obvious to me really quickly though, that whereas I had thought like, once you get an agent, that's it. They're just going to be able to find your job and you're going to be great. Um, Cause he was asking me these questions like, do you know any of these showrunners? Do you know any of these writers that are uh, yeah. producers? And I was like, I know no one. Isn't that sort of your thing? And he was yeah. like, no. <laughs> the, the, the more you know, the more people connections you have, the better I can push you. So I learned very quickly like, oh, Having an agent does not necessarily guarantee you work. Um, hopefully, you haven't, you know, reps that push for you and reps that are connected. But that's that's not all it takes, apparently. Yeah, it's a big wake up call once once you get your rep because you definitely feel like oh, I've reached the hurdle, and just your yep. agent saying like. I got it from here. You're like, oh, thank fucking God. Yep. Because I've been I've been doing it by myself for so long. But yeah, you still have to keep doing it, even though they're doing it too. You do. You do. I mean, it, at first it, it is, you know, a big wake up call. But I think in the long run for me, I'm realizing that it's a good thing because you don't want you don't want to just leave your career in the hands of someone else. I right. feel like the more connections you make on your own, the more you you advocate for yourself. Um, the better. I mean, it's great. I love love my reps. Please don't leave me. Um, <laughs> but, um, I'm I'm, and it challenges me in a way that you know pushes me out of my shell because I'm usually the person who's like, just give me a job, put me in a room, let me do it. Like I don't want to hundred percent. But now I'm like, okay, I have to learn how to you know take meetings and work a room and like all of that, um, which is which is good. Um, but. Yeah, he sent me all those things and I read them and I made him a list of, you know, the things I was projects I was interested in and a list of nobody that I knew. And so I sort of <laughs> sat back and was like, okay, waiting for the meetings. And they didn't come. They really, <laughs> um, I think I got like one, I met with one executive at Warner Brothers. Um, and then, and it's a whole thing with that too, because you have to know how to dress. You don't want to be overdressed. Yeah. You don't want to be underdressed either. So there's all of that. Um, so I did that. And then there was just a dry spell of about three months where there was zero, you know, there was silence. And I had to learn how to be okay in the silence because I really just wanted to email him and be like, what's going on? Um, mm -hmm. But you, you know, you can't be annoying. You can't, you, you, know, you can't just do that. So I, it was, it was a very uncomfortable silence for me. And then 
finally he called and was like, hey, I know this isn't necessarily your thing, but would you do Lifetime? And I was like, sure, what depends on the project, what's the project? And so he told me about this project, which I liked the all about Eve nature of it. And so I was like, sure, sign me up. Wow. And I, um, I got on a phone call. This was a funny moment for me because I was holding my son who I, he was like two months old and praying to God that he would just stay asleep. <laughs> and like pacing around my house on the call with this producer. And we had a lovely chat about because it was it was an adaptation of a book, and um, we we had a lovely chat about it. At the end of the call, she goes, "I'm going to be really honest with you. Lifetime already has a writer that they want for this project, um, but I read your sample and I think your sample is fantastic. So I was like, I have to at least talk to her and see if the person matches the sample, so then I know I can fight for you." And she was like, "Okay, I'm going to go push for you." And I was like, "Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing." And then I got on a call with the Lifetime producers and all of that. And it was interesting because at the time, I didn't know what giving a take was. Uh, mm -hmm. So I didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. They're asking me all these questions about the project and all of that. And, I, you know, to me, I was just having a conversation with them and answering questions. But it turns out I was giving them a take. Do you think it helped you that you didn't know what, that you were giving a take? Absolutely. Because it relaxed you and you're just kind of like... Hey, yep. I'm just myself. Yeah. I almost want to take that and see if I can just mold that mentality around everything now and just go in casually yeah. <laughs> rather than go in super prepared. <laughs> well, it definitely helped me. And so I got that job. I was super excited about it. And then about two weeks later, I got a call from my um, my agent and he was like, hey, um, Tim Kring wants to meet you for Treadstone. This was a Friday, and I was like, "Yeah, um, <laughs> Tim Kring, yeah, one of the greatest showrunners around right now. Yeah, absolutely." So we met at Par uh, not Paramount, uh, Universal Studios. Um, um, Treadstone was produced by Captivate Entertainment, which is, I think, they sort of uh, they have the rights to all the Ludlum books. All of the books, yeah. yeah. So I met with Tim and you know uh, Ben. Can't remember his last name. Who uh, was uh, part of running the show? And we just again had a had just a lovely conversation. We talked about the Born trilogy, which I love, and just talked about my background as a you know an, an African woman, and you know why I like spies and all of that. It was just a great conversation. And then very abruptly, they were like, "Okay, it's time to go. Lovely meeting you. Goodbye." And I was like, "Oh, oh, say something wrong." Yeah, I was like, oh no, what did I say that they like kicked me out of the office? I totally freaked out. And it was a Friday, so I couldn't find anything else. It was like Friday at 5 p.m. There's nothing to find out. Um, yeah. So I was like, no, I blew it. And then <laughs> Monday I heard nothing. Um, so I was like, all right, well, I guess that's that's it for me and Tim Kring. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Tuesday, I got a call from my lawyer and my agent and they're like, are you ready to go to work? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they're like, you got the job. I'm like, what do you mean? They threw me out of their office. And like, oh. they were so excited. They wanted to call us. They called us like right Whoa. away. Holy tell, shit. Tell us like, so, to hold you. Hang um, on. Two, two things. First of all, that's how this podcast is going to end, by the way. <laughs> Other, but the second thing is, did you, not to get off of the writer's room, but did you submit your script to any other competitions or no um oh, okay so because it sounds like the woman uh your version of the woman is like it got you like uh, it was breaking doors down for you it sounds like it's like an amazing script obviously thank you um it really i you know it really has done that i mean it's still getting me meetings it's still getting me work i think yeah it never even occurs to me to submit it anyway. I think the, the the difficult thing with it is that it deals with human trafficking, which mm -hmm. is just a difficult subject to sit through. And I didn't want to tell it in a way that was um, all respect to Taken, but it's a little bit more glamorized. Like it glamorizes the world a little bit. Like a lot of mm -hmm. the people who get Taken don't get to stand in front of sheiks and like wear diamonds and jewels. That's yeah. not the reality of a lot of people. And a lot of people don't have dads with a certain, you know, set of skills <laughs> to go get them. And so um, while I tried to make it 
you know, easier to digest. Like I wanted to deal with some of the realities of it. And I think that's, that's, that's what makes it tricky as far as like, sure. You know, whatever, but I still have hope that we'll do something with it. And honestly, like if it, all it does is get me in rooms and get me other work, that's plenty. I'll take it. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, it's like an outlier of a script, you know, everyone just wishes for this moment to write something and then get a job off of it. And this is something that you've gotten multiple jobs off of. I think it's, that's amazing. Yeah. Because it's also super rare to have your script, especially when you're a new writer, get in the hands of someone of that level as Tim, because usually you need to know someone for Tim to be like, okay, like Tim will take a short list of people that are kind of recommended from someone. Um, obviously he liked your agent and your agent was such a good pitcher that he was able to get your script in front of him. And then your script did the rest of the work to get them excited. But that is so rare. Um, and it feels like all those stars were just aligned for you. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I felt very fortunate and I'll, you know, like, I'll be honest. Yes, I believe it was a good script. I worked hard. My agent was fantastic and worked hard. And Tim, you know, in a way took a chance because he didn't know me from a can of paint. Um, but there's also just the awareness that the industry is changing. And I was lucky to to come at a time when change is happening, where people are looking for diversity and looking for, you know, diverse voices. Um, and so I feel like it was all of those things that sort of tipped tipped it over yeah. for me so i'm i'm excited to be here now you know i think it's the writing it's a hundred percent the writing <laughs> yeah <laughs> none of those things would have happened if the writing wasn't there Neka. <laughs> um to go into a little bit of detail because i'm curious what your meeting with tim was like um i'm assuming you were nervous yes. to go in you loved heroes um what was like what was the q a like for you for that meeting and was it very much just like a general or was it a lot more specific because i can tell you that my one meeting i had um i was going out for the originals the julia plex show and um i did all of my homework and then the meeting was very much like all right we read your sample whatever you're this, you're the same level as some other people who cares um what can you bring to the room like what yeah. special thing do you have taja that's going to like really make this room special and i had to be like oh god i'm like good at research like i don't know <laughs> what? i love characters i don't know how to answer that question so can you take us through what your meeting with tim looked like yeah um i think it helped that when i got there they weren't quite ready for me so i got to sit and chat with the receptionist so that sort of calmed me down a bit um and then when i finally got in you know, it was super casual. They were sitting in couches and um, Tim and Ben are very different. Tim is very, Tim has, you know, been in this industry for so long. He's, you know, seen it all. And he just has a very calm, unruffled disposition. Like he knows what he's looking for um, and he's just not in a hurry. Um, whereas Ben is like, has like so much energy and like has a power drink and he's that person. <laughs> is, is um, but really, I think when I got in there, um, there were there were posters of Jason Bourne everywhere, and I'm a big nerd, so I was like, "Oh my gosh, Jason Bourne!" And they were like, "We love it! Come sit down." Then <laughs> that was the best thing I could have done. Um, yeah. that's his. Um, that's his. That's what he does. He, you know, he executes that whole world. And so I, you know, I didn't do it to because I knew it would work with him. It was really just the reaction to like something that I liked. Um, and then he, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm geeking out. And he was like, no, this is a time and space to geek out. Geek out. Tell us all about how much you love um, Born. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I went on about that a little bit. And then I had read the pilot. And um, I guess one of the questions that a lot of people who had interviewed for the job had asked was there's a, a female character from Korea who suddenly realizes she, you know, she can do all these things. She can do Kung Fu and all that. And I guess a lot of people had asked like, was she dreaming? Like, was it real? Was she really, cause it's nebulous the way it's played out in, in the original pilot, it was. And so he was like, what do you think of Soo-yeon? And I was like, oh yeah, she's totally waking up. And he was like, nobody ever, no, everybody thinks that she's, 
you know, that she's not, that she's in a dream. I'm like, no, she's waking up. She just doesn't realize it. And he loved that. Um, and I so love that you had a really strong opinion about it too, because I think my instinct is to be like, oh God, what do they want to hear? How do yeah. I say what they want to hear? <laughs> Honestly, I think that uh, it comes from like a lack of education for me, you know? Naivete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just my own ignorance and you know i think i was just so excited to be there too so i was like a kid in a candy store and so we talked about the show a little bit and then he they were like you know which character do you resonate with and all of that so I, I talked about that for a bit and then that led to me talking about um, my childhood and my path here which they were very interested in um and so we just we spent a lot of time talking about that. And and then Tim shared a little bit about the room and the fact that they had already been in session for a week and all of that. Um, so it was really just very conversational. I mean, I'm very grateful they didn't ask me what special something I brought to the room because they're, I don't know. Like, how do you answer that? <laughs> exactly, thank you. <laughs> well, you would have answered probably pretty well. I'm a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I love that. So you just you just geeked out. And actually, the first job I ever got in this industry, I was an assistant to a director. Um, he had been a director on West Wing, and he was now directing a show called Studios Studio 60. And I got the job because I did the exact same thing. I came in and the the um, interview was on set. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is so amazing. Like, do you remember that episode of West Wing where blah, blah, blah happens? And the, the person interviewing was like, no, I don't. And I honestly don't think the director does either. You clearly need this job because you're so obsessed with West Wing. Um, so I do think like this kind of just genuine love for the project, you should feel free to just nerd out because that's what they want to hear. Yep, it certainly worked. I'll take it. I would love to jump into like what the writer's room day to day actually looks like. Um, and particularly now that you're in a Zoom room, um, I think that's really interesting. Can you just kind of like walk us through how your day starts and what that looks like? So the Zoom room starts at 10 a.m. I think every room I've been in has started at 10, but it starts at 10 a.m. And so we all log on to the link. Um, my showrunners are Seth Graham Smith and David Wolpert, and they... You know, I think we're there's 10 of us in the room currently, yes, including the writer's assistant and the script coordinator. And we sort of chit chat for about 20 minutes and then we dive right in. So our sessions run from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then we take a break, a uh, two hour break, and then come back from oh, wow. two to four. Yes. That is barely a work day. <laughs> well, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> this is, I will say, this has been the most laid back room I have ever been in in my life. But part of the reason behind that is that it's an anthology. So we don't have to track character arcs and all of that. Oh. It's all standalone episodes. And so that makes it so much easier to. So, to you're, wait, so your workday is four hours long? <laughs> Am I getting that right? That math right? No, yes. My work. Tasha's <laughs> just. Gonna black out. <laughs> I can't wait to get in this writer's room now. No. <laughs> no, don't let me set you up for. Well, actually, a friend of mine started a room uh, last week, and she goes from ten to twelve thirty, and then two thirty to four thirty. So similar. Mm. But I also know people who are on in rooms for eight hours. So, so it just depends on on this. What does it depend on? I think I think it hugely depends on the. The, first of all, is it a new show? Are you creating something new? Because then you, there's a lot of conversations that need to happen and breaking of uh, stories and characters and all that. So I think that would, I, I would imagine that would make your hours longer. Um, and yeah. then also, I think it also depends on the disposition of the showrunner. Because I remember in Treadstone, like we could have been there for hours. It was a first season show. You know, I know so many first season shows that have gone late into the night. But Tim, um, one, has a family and he was always like, I love my family, I'm going home at six. Um, so he, you know, six was pretty much his heart out. And also he was like, if we, if we didn't get it before six, we're not getting it at 10. So, you know, he was like, you guys have lives to go. And that was just wow. his attitude about that, which was great. Um, my showrunner on High School Musical was sort of similar in the sense that after 4.30, he's just like, I can't. I'm out and so sometimes we would we would stay to like do 
like individual writing, but as far as the room, like we left. That I've heard is not the norm. So um, yeah. Writers are so funny. It's dark. I'm done. Yeah. I can't work anymore. <laughs> He's like, I can't. No. Timmy's brain gets sad is what he used to say. So, uh, that is true though. There is a certain time where your brain just like dials back and you're just like, I can't stare at a screen anymore. I can't do, I need to just leave the computer. I'm done. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, that time always comes when I should like do a, a like a typo pass on my scripts and I just sure. can't read. And like, I I'm seeing the typos, but I can't see them. <laughs> um, okay. So let's, Let's, all right, we'll take your, your 10 to 12 example. How does the room start? What are you actually talking about once the room actually starts? Um, well, so the, we went episode by episode because, you know, like I said, each episode was standalone. And <clears throat> the approach the showrunners took was, you know, when they came in the first couple of days, they were like, look, it's all blue sky. If anybody has a specific idea of something they want to tackle or genre element they would like, um, us to use speak now. And so we just got the opportunity to pitch, like, let's do a vampire. No, let's do a witch. Um, wow. But also they had an, some ideas of um, social issues they wanted to tackle allegorically. And so we were aware that we wanted to do something that dealt with race and something that de dealt with um, uh, sexuality. So it was sort of finding ways to pair up those issues with an allegory and see like sort of what fit. And so for the first week, I think it was, we all just pitched different ideas and pitched different like issues that we thought could go with different, you know, genre elements. And it was, uh, it was sort of a free fall, which was really, which for us was really nice because, you know, we're a bunch of strangers working together. And so having free reign to just sort of do that, um, we got to know each other in sort of in a weird way, like know what, you know, people were interested in and know what mattered to certain people and that sort of thing. And sort of, I think the Zoom of it all, I think for me, before I started, I was super nervous because I'd never been in a Zoom room. But for some reason, it was much more comfortable. Not for some reason. Part of it is the showrunners are so nice and laid back and like, you know, when there's an awkward silence, they're like, okay, you feel awkward too. It's okay. <laughs> Let's all just sit in the awkwardness. Don't feel like you have to say anything, you know? So you just felt comfortable and felt like you had permission to not like perform. And so by the end of the week, we had a pretty big list of uh, story pitches and ideas and you know areas that we wanted to explore. And then the following week, we sort of went deeper into and see, to see if which ideas met all the categories that the showrunners were looking for um, and, you know, by the end of the second week, we moved really fast, really, really fast. And that also, I think, is a product of the Zoom room, um, because in a, you know, in a, in a, an actual face-to-face -face writer's room, you have all the distractions of people going to get a snack and people, you know, all yeah. of that. We don't have that. Also, we know we have four hours to get this done, and so we make use of the time. And so then, after week two, the showrunners decide on, okay, this is going to be episode one. Is that when you basically started to actually write the episodes? So by the third week, we started, this is our sixth week. Yeah. So by the third week, we started, um, I think we had agreed on uh, about 10 episodes or 10 areas that were possibilities. Um, we, we only needed seven. And so by week three, we really delved into, we would pick one of them and like really get into breaking it. Um, and um, there's this program called Writer's Room Pro, which mm -hmm. I guess everyone's using now. And so you can, you know, it has a, a whiteboard and has cards and all of that. And so we we did Whoa. that and everybody could see it and all of that. And so we broke each episode out. Um, I think we did that over, I want to say a week and a half or two weeks. I'd say a week and a half. And um, every so single episode within a week and a half, all seven episodes, all seven episodes. Um, and then so about like a day and a quarter on each. Yeah, episode. something like that's, that. That's how long it took to, to figure out what the story structure of an entire episode was. Yeah. Yeah. And again, these are half hour standalone. Um, nobody's going to break an episode of the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that. Mm. But 
it's really helpful that they know what they want. They're very decisive. The showrunners are very decisive. And so they definitely give everybody an opportunity to voice their opinions and to you know give their perspective, but they know what they're looking for, which is helpful. I was going to ask if when you guys are breaking a story, is it a very collaborative kind of you're spitballing, you're shooting ideas out and the showrunner's like, yes, I like that. And on to the next one, on to the next one, where it's you're basically servicing the showrunner's ultimate idea. Yes. Right? It's, it's not like, Becca, you do this. You figure like there's not a singular uh, portion. No. That um, one of the showrunners, he definitely drove, like he was doing all the typing and all of that. And so when he starts typing, we're like, you know, for this idea that we had where this person needs to take out the evil enchantress, maybe they can do this. So everybody's throwing out pitches and he's like, yep, I like that. We're doing that. So that's sort of how it went. It was very, very collaborative, which was nice. But at the same time, like I said, they know what they want, which is super helpful. So it moved the room pretty smoothly. Do you find that in between days we're in the room, are you writing down a lot of notes yourself and working outside of the room as well? Or is all your time really just spent in there brainstorming with everyone? And that's the job. Um, I wrote down notes a lot just because that's, that's my way. Um, when I write things down, for some reason, it takes, I, I understand them better when I write it with a pen because I'm a thousand years old. Um, <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> and, um, I just, yeah, that's, so I, I, I have lots of notes. And also like I found, especially when I was on Treadstone, I will say like taking notes was so helpful in the room because everything's moving forward and you forget that you pitched something, you know, two weeks ago and I can always find it in my notes. So um <laughs> That's just a habit. I am sort of a nerdy, like student sort of person. So I did that. Um, As far as out working outside of the room, there were some specific stories that I definitely that were more difficult to crack. And so I spent some time outside the room just trying to figure it out. Like we were we had an episode that we wanted to do. We wanted to do an episode on race. Um, Race is tough. It's a tough one to crack because you, you know, you don't want to be patronizing, but at the same time, you don't want, you know, people are living some hard and harsh realities surrounding race. Nobody wants to, at least I don't want to sit and immerse myself in that for entertainment. Um, And so you have to, it's just tricky to find a balance of of speaking truth to it, but also making it fun. So uh, I definitely spent a lot of time outside the room um, talking to high school kids because, you know, it's, it's middle grade and high school. And uh, did talk- you? How did you even find any? Your kids are, are much younger. Um, I have a friend whose husband is sort of he's in, he's a theater director at a at a private school, uh, high school, and then also sort of is in charge of like their diversity efforts. And so they were very gracious to sit with me and talk and have me like chat with a couple of their students just because wow. I I think it's important to get it right. If you're going to do it, do it right or don't do it at all. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you just feel like incredibly old when you were talking to high school kids? Oh, yeah. Kids? Ancient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, they're saying we're, we're like, take a Gandhi pill. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> did you just say to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you please define this? Yeah, Gandhi as in peace? I don't know. Yeah, very. I was like, wow. And it 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 was kind of like also I realized how little effort I'd made to be relevant. You know, like I didn't know the songs, I didn't I knew nothing. I was like, oh I need to try harder. Oh wow. No, there's a there's a time in your life where you just you say, you know what, I'm past that. I'm not going (laughs) down there. I'm time to move on. And so um we, we kind of talked about this, about breaking a story. And can you just give us a quick idea of what it means to break a story and what that looks like? Um, okay. So this was a huge mystery to me when we I started Treadstone. They were like, let's break the story. And I was like, okay, because I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. But the, the cool thing about it is that it's it's a conversation. That's really what it is. It's a conversation about, you know, so you have... For instance, you have a season that's going to run 10 episodes. The way it works generally is that you know, sort of, you have sort of an idea from the pilot where you want to take the season, where you want characters to end um, in their personal journeys and plot wise. And so breaking the story essentially involves taking each episode and like sort of, it's sort of a Tetris game of what needs to happen 
in that episode in other to push the story, to push the character forward to the next episode, to ultimately get them where you want them to go at the end of the, se- of the season. Now, not every room knows where they want you, you know, the story or the characters end. I highly recommend it because it can get very confusing when you have eight to 10 people with different ideas and different perspectives you know, deciding where where the story should yeah. ultimately go. Um, and so I've seen it work best when there is a knowledge of where the story should go. Um, and so you basically just um, take each episode and have a conversation about them, have a conversation about each character and what needs to happen in that episode, um, the beginning, middle, and the end in order to get, you know, to push the narrative um, forward. And you say you use this digital room now, but typically that process would happen where the showrunner is putting up what index cards on a cork board, mm-hmm. writing stuff on a whiteboard, and just kind of like taking ideas that way. Yeah, we usually start out on a whiteboard and with the whiteboard, it's just, it usually starts out as just very general sort of pitches and ideas. It's sort of like, we want Amy to, at the end of the season, we want Amy to have realized that She's beautiful on the inside as well as on the outside. So what needs to what do we need to do in this episode to show that she doesn't believe that she's beautiful on the outside? And we just sort of write on the board general ideas for the entire for each episode. And then after that, which usually takes, I mean, depending on the room, can I mean with the Treadstone room, it took a while just because there was so much, but in this room takes a week. Um, But then after that, you now take each episode and really dive into all the beats of the of the story of the episode of the beats of the character and characters, because there's multiple characters and sort of make sure that they all um, track with each other. And that's when you sort of start carding them and putting them on the board. It's it's like Tetris, which appeals to me, like the puzzle piece of it all. Mm -hmm. I hate writing on the board. Are you ever told, like, like at, like in school, like NECA, come up here? Oh here's my your, here's your piece of chalk right on the board. So a writer, very lovely writer on Treadstone, um, he was like one of the one of the really cool things, or one of the good cool tricks about it being being in a writer's room is finding the thing that you're good at um, that helps the room. Um, and he was like, my thing is I write on the board. And he was like, maybe that can be your thing too. And I was like, no. <laughs> Um, but, I, but he was like, no, try it. So I tried it and you could just feel the silence behind me because I didn't know what what I was yeah. doing. Uh, I barely knew how to break a story with people much more. I was like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to write this or not. And then I quickly sure. figured out that I wasn't helping anyone. So I, I did the cards because my writing is legible and no, you know, I was the staff writer and nobody wanted, nobody else wanted to do it. So I was like, I'll do the cards. So I did that. Um, and then on High School Musical, there was someone in the room who had perfect board writing. So she did it every day, but one time she was like, Neka, do this for me. And I was like, no, I will not. And the show, <laughs> like, get up there, Neka, once again. You could hear the crickets behind me. And I was like, guys, we know this is not working. Let me just please sit down. Let me do something else. Like, I, yeah. I know my place. I know yeah. what I can do. Yeah. Um, you actually bring up a good point. You mentioned that you were just a lowly staff writer when you first started. And so you did the cards. Can you talk about what the hierarchy in a room looks like? Because as I was interviewing for this job um, that I got this week, it's very specific about, look, I'm there's only like one to two spaces for staff writers, which is where I would be coming in because this is my first TV job. And then I'm, I'm hiring higher level writers. Can you kind of describe what that hierarchy in a room looks like and how it affects you as a writer that's coming into the room? Yeah, um, so I'll just mention what the, the levels are real quick. So usually you have, in a full room, you have um, the writer's PA, writer's assistant, script coordinator, it's a lot of people, um, staff writer, story editor, sure that is exactly is this in order by the way yes this is in order okay. bottom bottom to top um so story editor executive story editor uh co-producer producer supervising producer co-ep ep um which could be the showrunner or you could have an ep uh, an ep and a showrunner so those are all whew, the steps right. 
Yes. And so uh, all those people are writers on that list you just mentioned because you said producers, but they're actually writers as well. Yeah. They're actually writers, which I didn't know because, you know, you, you watch a show and you see the credits and you see producer and this person a lot of times they're writers. Um, yeah. And so those are sort of the levels. Um, when I started at Treadstone, Tim very graciously, you know, pulled me aside and was like, hey, I don't believe in hierarchy. You know, speak when you want to. Don't feel obligated to speak. All of that, which was great. What I found out is that Tim may not care. Everybody else cares. <laughs> There's wow. definitely a hierarchy in the room. And I say this of writers who were nothing but nice and wonderful to me. Can you tell a story that illustrates how you felt that? And name uh, names. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, there was a writer who was a lower level writer but was is very good at espionage and that sort of thing. Like he's he just has a mind for that stuff. Um, and we were arguing a point in the room and the room was very divided about this point. He felt, let me preface this by saying that in, in the room, out of everyone in the room in general, he navigated the room better, I think, than anyone else did. He just, he knew when to speak up and when to be quiet and he always had good pitches, he was great. But that day, for whatever reason, he just would not let go. Like he was relentless in holding on to his idea. A huge thing, a huge factor in being successful in the room is reading the room. You might be right. You know, you probably are right in your thought, but like if it's not received once or twice, you've been heard and you've been silently dismissed. We've talked about this before where writers and like a lot of times I'll say, it's just common sense not to do something, you know, but a lot of times people don't know that we talked, we've talked about general meetings before and what to ask, what not to ask. And it sounds like that's one of those things where it's like, you just got to know when to pump the brakes and just yeah. Uh, yeah. common and sense. I suppose, but. We're writers. We care, like yeah. care about what we're writing. And we also care, you know, you're like, my name's going to be on this thing. I yeah. want to reflect what I really believe about this. You know, so it's, 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 it's difficult, but you're right. It's one of those things where you just have to, it's not your show, especially yeah. when it's your show, you just have to back off. Um, how would you say, like, what advice would you give to writers who are in a situation that might be like that? I mean, I, I like your rule of only saying it twice and then letting it go, but is there any other advice that you've picked up along the way to help writers get their voice heard in a way that's respectful and well-received by everyone else in the room? Yeah, so my strategy was to, or is still, but to really think about what I want to say and when to say it. Because you could, again, be completely right and, and just say the right thing at the wrong time and then it just doesn't land. And so I, and then also to like ask myself, if I'm thinking about this, somebody else might may have thought about this and maybe there's a reason why it's not being said. And so to like analyze that before I speak which might be too much, you know, I'm in my head a lot, which is not necessarily the best thing, but I do that. And then I just really pick my moments. I really pick my moments to speak and I try not to pick moments that everyone's sort of arguing about and everyone's sort of fighting over already. I try to, to find the things that are being forgotten or the things that um, are being ignored and to have a solution for those things. Um, because then it's, first and foremost, it can, it can be very helpful just to, to the storytelling and to, you know, like the show in general, but it gets the attention of the showrunner because they're like, oh, that's something no one else thought about. That's something that was totally going under the radar. That's great. That seems like such an acquired skill to have, to be able to kind of pinpoint what's been missed. Um, I think what that's sort of how where like the writing notes really helps me because when you're writing, you're processing too. And so you're seeing those holes, you know, you're seeing, yeah. you're seeing those things. And I would come into work a little bit earlier and sort of look at the board and nerd out a little bit and be like, oh, I can pitch on that because nobody's done yeah. that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of my strategy. And like, especially if you're an incoming writer, like definitely I would say every, every room I've been in, I've been told like, there's no hierarchy, like just whenever. 
but you know we all care and we've all you know earned where we are and we want to be respected for it and so um picking your moments and and being known as someone who's thoughtful and who doesn't just pitch so that your voice is heard i think there's value in that i think that's great advice yeah we can wrap up with i think they're the fun questions which is like what do you think is the most fun thing about being in a writer's room? And then what do you think is the most challenging or the most intimidating thing? And then the last question I feel like is important is what do you wish, like what's the thing you really wish you'd have known before you went into a writer's room? Whoa, those are some heavy questions, Tasha. I think those are fun ones. Are they the heaviest? I'm sorry. (laughs) Super fun. Here we go. (laughs) What do you wish you knew now? All right. What is the most fun thing about being in writer's room? Surely that's an easy question, Josh. Free lunch. <laughs> well, now in Zoom, now you I don't get free lunch. I would say it's uh, it's first the people. Um, you know, like being a writer before you're in in a room. At least for me, for the most part, is such a um, a lone. V- you know, venture, you're yeah. by yourself for hours and hours and you're in your head. But in a writer's room, you you have coworkers and that become your friends inevitably. That is the one thing that's a little difficult with a Zoom room is that you don't get to have the chit chat and, you know, meet in the kitchen before work and have a bagel and have lunch together. Um, but still, like with my room, my Zoom room currently, we, you know, we have we all zoom like without the showrunners um, sometimes <laughs> or like one-on-one and all that. So we're, we're doing our best to still be yeah. a Um, because that's, that's some of the best of it is, you know, just the, the people you meet, the friends you make, all the characters and personalities. Um, and then I think also working on something that you care about and knowing that, you know, someday people are going to see this and like you are part of doing, of making this happen. It's such a rush. It's like, it's the best thing um, to contribute. And like something like, you know, Tasha, I know you don't want to talk about it, Witcher, (laughs) um, which already has such a following and a fan base and like Henry Cavill in the first one. Let's just, let's just say it. it. Um, Part of that and like, you know, forever you're going to be part of that legacy is so fun. It's super exciting. Now I'm even more excited, Naka. Thank you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, shifting to something, I guess, more depressing and difficult. What is the most intimidating and challenging thing to you about being in a writer's room? I think for me, it's more of a personality thing. I am an introvert. I'm by nature, this I'm like chatting with you guys because like, Tasha, you're already my friend and Josh, you're super cool and nice. But- Thank you. <laughs> and he's wearing a shirt that says positivity. <laughs> so it, it's easy and it's a small group. And I, you know, I, this is, I, I do, this is comfortable for me. I'm getting into a big room you know, is not the most comfortable thing for me. And so I have to consistently push myself to speak up. And like, I'm very, very intentional about speaking up because mm-hmm. that's just not in my nature. My nature is to think everything in my head and, and all of that. And so that's that's the most difficult thing for me. The second thing I would say would be just realizing that it's not it's not your show. Like, you let go of it yeah. and you yeah. might have all the solutions to everything but you have to be able to let go and 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 you also have to give room for the fact that maybe somebody else knows something better than you know maybe they're maybe they're they know better even though you might not feel like that in the moment you know um so being being able to turn it off and be okay with it and not go home and scream in a pillow or go home and scream in a pillow if that helps just do it at home and not in front of everyone else <laughs> I almost feel like that's advice right there, but um, do you have advice? Like if you could talk to younger NECA as you're coming in, what would you tell young NECA? She's about to go into her first Treadstone meeting, sorry, uh, writer's room rather. What are you talking about, Tasha? I did it perfectly the first time. No, I didn't. didn't. Um, How about this? What advice would you give me? as I'm about to start this writer's room and I'm terrified out of my mind about what is going what it's going to look like. Um I think 
as writers, most of us, not Josh, because Josh has a cool hat, um, we yeah. suffer from some imposter syndrome where, um, especially when you get into the room and like you feel like everybody's so smart and well-versed on this stuff and like their pitches are flying, especially like the extroverted writers, like they're just, you know, doing it and you're like, oh crap, like I've said one thing today and why am I here? And like, somebody's going to realize that I shouldn't be here. Um, I think it's just to remind yourself that you were hired for a reason. You were hired over, like they interviewed a ton of other people because they always do. Um, and they picked you. They picked you because you're smart and you're, you are exactly what they're looking for. And so, and everybody else, as loudly as they're talking, they're just as nervous as you human we all have our own versions of insecurity whatever that looks like but to just remind yourself that you like you're meant to be here um yeah. and that you can do it or you wouldn't be here you've you've earned it and you've got this thanks neka i feel like you're talking to me right now thank you <laughs> thank you that was awesome yeah neka thank you so much i feel like you totally pulled back the veil on something that I think is very scary and very mysterious to a lot of writers and made it feel like, oh, those are actually like steps I can do and things that I can actually do as a writer. Um, so thank you, That's that was awesome. Yay, thank you guys for having me. This was super, super fun. And if it helps anybody out there, then great. It will help someone, just one person next. <laughs> Just That's me. Fun. It's helped me. That's all that matters. Yeah, you know, this was actually for Tasha. <laughs> this is a therapy session. We're not even going to actually post this episode. It was just it's a way just... to get you on. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, NECA. So, just to wrap up, I thought we would kind of start a new trend of doing things that we've learned over the last week or so about writing because this is a massive learning process, always. Joshua, would you like to start? So I have been working on a pitch that's going to happen next week. And by the time this is released, I will have already pitched. And um, I'm pitching with someone else. And I've never pitched with someone else. Like, I've never done this before, where it's like you're bouncing off of somebody. So we have been coordinating how to do this. And this is might seem pretty obvious, but I think the best way to go into a pitch with two people is to really break it up. So it seems like you're just firing back and forth on each off of each other. That's my take. I mean, I don't know how big of a lesson that is. That might be like some common sense stuff. But just as we're going through the pitch, I really feel like it's so helpful to have two voices. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that's a lesson because there are probably some writers out there who feel like um, a pitch is their territory and they should be pitching it all on their own. But mm. um, I, th I think the instinct of breaking it up and you're pitching with an actor who I think is particularly just naturally more charismatic than writers. Not that you're not extremely charismatic, but there's Thank something about actors <laughs> that that's their job, right? Is to perform. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous now. <laughs> I wasn't nervous about the pitch until just now. <laughs> No, you're amazing. You're going to do fine. <laughs> um, but no, there's, I think there's definitely something I wish I always had. I remember when we first started together uh, in the business, I was so tempted to just hire you to do all of my pitches. Do you remember that? <laughs> Where I was like, can you just stand in for me and I'll give you a pitch script? Um, yeah, I didn't know you were serious. I would have done it. real serious. Unfortunately, there's no chance in hell you look at all like me. So um that would not have worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what did you learn? Tell us some writing lesson. Um, I learned uh, that I that I that I think in a really in a, in a way that I I didn't realize I thought this way. Where um, I got a notes call from my manager yesterday, and I was really struggling with Act Two of of a feature that I'm working on, and. Um, she just broke it down very quickly, very succinctly. This is what your act two should be beat like section by section. Logistically, this scene happens and therefore logistically it leads to this scene. And therefore right. now you need this information and now you need this information. I was like, oh, that's really, <laughs> that's so freaking obvious when you say it that way. But it's clear that my brain doesn't function that way when I'm writing. I'm more like feel my way through scripts and character and scene. Um, 
And so it's interesting that like the revision process can be the logistical process that you don't have to work that out right from the beginning. It could be yeah. something that you do later on. Cause now I actually was able to write today very freely and it just felt like puzzle piecing things together. Now that I have already felt my way through what act two should be. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. It's just a different way of thinking that I didn't necessarily know that I did. I think every week I learn something new about mm -hmm. process or how to think about something. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, then let's actually end with the quote of the day by one of my favorite writers of all time. We are all apprentices in a craft where no one becomes a master. Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs>